Welcome to episode four of the More XR podcast, the latest in augmented reality to virtual reality and everything in between. It's brought to you by More Insights and Strategy. I'm Anshul Sog, More Insights and Strategy Principal Analyst covering XR, 5G, smartphones, PC, cloud gaming, and much more. So let's get started. This week, we have two guests on the podcast in a panel format talk about the latest developments in mixed reality with Lynx's CEO, Stan Leroc, and Qualcomm's GM of XR, Hugo Swart. Uh, I just wanted to start with the podcast by uh, having each of you introduce yourselves. Uh, Hugo, could you go first? Okay. Hi, uh, hi everyone. Uh, thanks, uh, Anshul, for inviting me uh, for this uh, podcast. So, um, as you mentioned, I, I am the GM of XR Qualcomm. So, I, I run the business, uh, started actually the business from uh, uh, ground up about six to seven years ago. And I'm uh, working with, uh, with uh, the chips, the reference designs, the software, technology, partnerships, customers, and, and so forth. Happy to be here. And Stan. Yeah, hi, uh, I'm Stan Larocque and uh, I'm in Paris office of Lynx and uh, I'm the CEO of the company. And we've been working now for the last two years with Hugo's team to deliver Lynx, which is a standalone headset for mixed reality. Great. That's, those are great intros. Thank you very much. So I guess we'll start with my first question, which I think is a good starter question. Um, and I'll, I'll start with Hugo, and then I'd like to hear from Stan. Um, some people may not be familiar with the term mixed reality or not fully understand what it means. What is your definition of mixed reality? Yeah, that's a good one. I mean, let me start by saying, you know, we believe that we are on a, on a journey. Right, uh, on a journey from uh, 2D computing, right, smartphones, PCs, TVs, even books, right? So all 2D medium of uh, information um, exchange. And we're going to 3D computing or spatial computing. And in that journey, of course, you have virtual reality where you have a fully occluded device. Everything is digital. Everything is synthesized. Um, now, when you have augmented reality, we think about a glass, right, uh, with uh, with uh, um, uh, optical see-through. And uh, you know, we're a few years out until we have um, an AR glass that has the field of view that everyone wants. So then, mixed reality, uh, we use the term as um, you know, having augmented reality experiences on a VR headset. And how you do that? Um, you have a fully occluded device still, but then you use uh, RGB or color cameras to pass you know, what the real environment is to the display of the VR headset. So essentially, um, uh, we use the mixed reality more as a feature than a device. So mixed reality as a feature that you have on, on the VR headset, where you get the wide field of view of a VR headset, but then um, by seeing the real world, I can start uh, offering really rich uh, augmented reality experiences. I mean, that's how we, we're using it, you know? And, and by the way, I really like, you know, that we started using the term XR, you know, access a variable here, where you have virtual reality, augmented reality, mixed reality. So we start to see all these converging and, uh, you know, um, and, and we found that the mixed reality was a good term to use on this mode uh, of, uh, of experiences, um, you know, and, and actually another thing on, on mixed reality that, that uh, I think it's important to 
uh, highlight is that in mixed reality, we can really um, uh, go from zero digital and everything real to fully digital. So you have the full spectrum of uh, realities uh, that we can um, offer through this, uh, through this mode. And Stan, what do you, how do you see mixed reality? To, to complete what Hugo just said, um, I think mixed reality is a technology that will allow us to change forever the way we interact with what we call virtuality today. And Hugo said it best when it's anything in between augmented reality and virtual reality. You can cover the full spectrum of immersive technologies with a VR headset that can also do augmented reality. And this is what we're been trying to do at Lynx now for the last two years. And uh, the development is finally uh, coming to an end. And uh, we are bringing not a pair of glasses that we might see uh, in, in five, between five and 10 years, but the, the first all-in-one headsets uh, products that are going to achieve that. Um, so that kind of leads me to my next question, which is now that we've got the definition out of the way, what are some of the reasons you've chosen to pursue mixed reality rather than AR or VR independently of one another? Well, my answer to that is, is quite simple. Um, I really believe like some other very big companies that VR and AR are intermediate terms that will both converge to mixed reality. And that's the, the both the cheapest way and also the most effective way to achieve what we all really want. And, and what do we want is that uh, interact with, with virtual things like they are part of our world and either in a fully virtual environment or in your home. And this is why I wanted to work on those interfaces and that with my team, we, we dedicated uh, all our hearts to, to, to this passion uh, and, and created the device the way it is. And when you look at other devices on the market, it's either covering VR very well. For example, you can look at the, the Facebook Oculus offering, which is a, a great VR device, but you know, it's just VR. And on the other hand of the spectrum, you have like uh, Hugo described optical safety devices um, that are pair of glasses that are barely doing augmented reality at the moment. And they're not touching anything else. Um, so I think mixed reality is uh, in, in the near term and, and, and probably on the long term too, uh, the most effective way to, to reach the future we, we all want. And Hugo, do you have any, any thoughts on, you know, why you guys pursued mixed reality versus, you know, keeping AR and VR as separate domains? Uh, you know, I, I think it's just um, um, AR. You know, I agree with what Stan said. You know, the AR that we all want, I mean, it's still a few years out, right? I mean, the, the display and optics, they're getting better. Don't get me wrong. I think that... Uh, you know, even um, you look at the devices out there like the Lenovo A3 um, or even the HoloLens, they're very good for certain uh, applications. These are going to get better and better every year. But really, for you to get to a 100 degrees field of view with uh, optical see-through is a few years out. So then, to me, it's a, a very natural evolution of virtual reality of trying to uh, bridge the two, right? 
Um, we don't see, you know, mixed reality as a device that are going to be walking on the street with it, right? That's really, you know, the, the AR glasses that we all want. But for indoor experiences, it's going to provide great augmented reality as a feature into a VR headset. So, so then, you know, when we look into XR2, uh, you were there in 2019 when we announced, uh, you know, at, uh, uh, at Tech Summit. We already hinted that we had included the underlying functionality on the on the on the hardware side to support mixed reality, uh, what we call true mixed reality, and um, and I can tell a little bit more on what what's under the hood and how we enabled it. Yeah, that actually kind of leads me into my next question, which is, uh, what are some of the biggest challenges you've experienced in making mixed reality happen for your company? Okay, so maybe let me start with that stand and then I'll, I'll pass it to you. So, so really the, the number one challenge on making you know, great mixed reality is uh, latency, right? Is uh, for those of you in the, the follow you know, virtual reality, we have talked in the past about motion to photon latency, right? The time that you move your head to the time you, know, you see um, the, the effect on the, on the display. Here we talk about photon to photon latency. You know, the light coming in to the, to the camera, the light coming out, you know, to the, to the display. That's what we call photon to photon latency. And, um, um, you know, when, when you think about, you know, camera coming in, camera, you know, images coming in, processing the chip and shown on a display, well, that's what I do on a smartphone today, right? When I press the camera, uh, uh, camera app, on my phone, that's what it does. I see the real world. So, hey, why can't I just do that in a VR headset? Well, because we're way more sensitive to latency in that when you have the display right in front of your eyes versus when you have it on a smartphone. So we had to basically re-architect our image pipeline, how we deal with each camera frame. You know, when you know you, you get, you know, even on a phone or a VR headset, um, you have a sensor, right? You know, from the camera, um, you know, that passes to the chip. And then the chip is gonna, you know, have serial um, tasks on how to, uh, how to uh, process that frame. And um, when in a smartphone mode, it takes, you know, um, anywhere, you know, or, or you can go above 30 milliseconds. Well, if you have more than 30 milliseconds in, in, in a VR headset, you're going to get dizzy, you know, very quickly. So that was the, the main challenge. Uh, we actually had to uh, change how we process that, that images, those images on XR2. And um, instead of serializing all those tasks, we, you know, looked at it from an end-to-end -end perspective, from a system perspective, and said, hey, we can't do that. We need to do in one step, you know, light comes in, you know, the image comes in. I have to actually, I don't even wait for the full frame to arrive. I can do it in chunks and do one step from camera, chip, display. And that's how um, we're able to get actually uh, less than 10 millisecond uh, photon, photon latency. So, so it's quite an achievement that uh, uh, we feel we were able to get through uh, using XR2 you know, less than 10 millisecond. Uh, caveat here is that of course it depends on the display, you know, LCD versus OLED and, and so forth. So, 
so the, the lower than 10 millisecond, it's 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 really um, if um, um, you know you, you had the best uh, lower latency display. So so that's there are a few other challenges, but you know that's the main one that we addressed um, in XR2 um, and uh, making available uh, to customers, and we're very happy to work with Lynx um, to to get you know this customer uh, this feature uh, out the door. Uh, I don't know if it's Stan, any other challenges that maybe you want to address that you you kind of uh, solve the uh, to enable mixed reality? Yeah, I, I have a few ones. Uh, yeah, uh, um, about that. Uh, so, yeah, for for us, we we see two challenges here. The first one is the the technical challenges of enabling that. And here, Qualcomm has been. The best partner to provide a technology platform that enable us to to do this all-in-one device, you know, without any cable, uh, so you can go practically anywhere with the device now. And it's a huge feat of engineering because um, you have to take into account everything, not only the chipset itself, but also, like Hugo said, the display, the sensor, the power consumption, and it all comes down to the to the thermal management of, of the device as well. So it's a great challenge. Uh, it's something that uh, our engineering team has uh, had a lot of uh, fun to do and uh, was very also very hard. And we are also seeing a, a challenge in um, on the user side of things to, to enable mixed reality. You know, because um, people know VR because the big companies, the big tech companies are educating the masses now to, to virtual reality. Some of them also know augmented reality. And we're, we're bringing very fast something very new that combines those technologies. So it's really hard and there is a lot of, uh, um, you know, uh, education to do with, with the users about how it will completely change um, the way we approach virtuality. So there are a lot of challenges and uh, we are very, very happy to, to work on this. And especially with Qualcomm and all the partners we, we have at Lynx to, to enable that. So maybe Anshul, if um, if I may, um, something else that is important. It's not you know exclusive to mixed reality. Even in virtual reality, we want that. But it's, it's having you know the headsets lighter, right, and, and smaller, right, so that you can have a little more movement within your space. You know, since now you can see the real world, and that's uh, yeah something I I really you know like the work that. Um, um, uh, links uh, has has done to miniaturize uh, to make it um, thinner and 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 stand. Maybe you can comment a bit more on how were you able to do that? Yeah, uh, good question. Um, so it, it's both about the weight and the weight distribution and the lightness of the device. And to achieve that, you sometimes have to try new things, especially on the on the optics and the display you're using to to try to, to shrink the device. Uh, we are far from a pair of glasses, like we, we, we all said, uh, but look at that. It's only like two finger of width uh, uh, in, the, in the front part of the device. It's really, we are getting away from the brick that you put in front of your face and uh, it's getting lighter and lighter by, by the, year, the years. So uh, we were able to do that by combining all the electronics into one very small uh, volume and also using new techniques on the optics 
um, for for the the viewer part of the of the headset, and we also put the battery at the back of the head. So it brings two stuff with, with this uh, approach. Uh, first, you move a lot of the weight away from the the nose and the the cheekbones of the of the user, and uh, it, it also allows you to to have less. Um, uh, you know, less stress on your neck muscles. Uh, so you have a better weight distribution and you're you're putting away a lot of, of volume. So it's a bit more expensive on the device because you, you have to design more parts and it's more plastic uh, for the moment, but uh, it's uh, it's part of why Lynx is uh, so thin. That's good. Cause you, you kind of answered my next question, which was, you know, what makes headset design for mixed reality different from a VR and AR headset, but Maybe you can kind of address that a little bit more clearly in terms of the differences. Yeah, the the, the first one, and and it, it's it also gets back to to what Hugo said in terms of feature, is that when you look at the mixed reality headset, it's it's a smarter VR headset. It, it's a VR headset that that has more cameras, more more sensing. Um, so you you can say it's the same, and then you just had two cameras, right? Uh, but first, you have to put latency out of the way, and you also have to uh, do something that is called reducing the parallax. So you want you want your your virtual eyes, those cameras, to be as close as your eyes as possible. This is also why we wanted to shrink the device down, so you can have a perfect continuity between what's virtual in front of you from the camera feed, and the and the peripheral vision uh, that you have directly on the world around you. So the, the design is completely different and you have to, to look for completely other metrics on the ergonomics. Also, the, the use of the headset is different. When we think about VR today, it's mainly entertainment and communication. So people are usually sitting in a chair and maybe they're getting up for some games. But AR, it's almost always getting up, walking, uh, doing to different places, having a very robust uh, six DOF algorithm to position uh, holograms. So the device looked the same, but trust me, it's very, very different on the inside. And, and Anshal, maybe also to complement a bit on the, on I mean, there's the hardware component, yes, which I think Stan uh, addressed. There's also software, right? So now, I mean, is this, you know, a virtual reality way of developing, you know, application or is it AR? And I would argue it's closer to AR, right? It's a, uh, um, you need a lot more uh, information about the environment, right? So you need more AI, um, you know, for, for that kind of a 3D reconstruction, semantic um, uh, segmentation and, and understanding. Um, and, um, and then, you know, having, having the APIs for then developers create those mixed reality uh, applications. So, so now as, a, as a, um we already talked about it, but you're going to see more and more us uh, talking about OpenXR, right? Being compliant with OpenXR, being able to expose uh, these functionalities in in a way that um, uh, developers can more naturally um, utilize across you know across platforms. So so we're we're taking that that approach, um, and um, and then and then um, uh, you know add more and more features to it. I mean, one more thing we mentioned when we announced XR2 is that compared to its predecessor, we were offering 11 times more AI capability, right? So, so I mean, this is a, a good example where you need a lot of um, 
user understanding, meaning, you know, the hand tracking, the eye tracking, the, um, um, you know, head tracking as, 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 then, as then mentioned, uh, but also environment or environmental understanding. So, you know, a lot of AI uh, required uh, for that and, um, and it will differ in virtual reality as in virtual reality, you didn't need as much. You still need, of course, uh, in virtual reality to have your play space and, uh, you know, obstacle uh, avoidance and so forth. But with mixed reality, we take that to the next level. Okay. Yeah, well, that kind of leads me to my next question, which is around the, you know, user interactions and like, what are the fundamental differences in user interaction from mixed reality, from AR or VR, and maybe what are the similarities? I'd love to hear from Stan first. Yeah, um, so if you start with VR, um, again, it's mainly for entertaining today with, with games, where gaming is very strong here. So you see all that the main input of this medium is uh, controllers, six DOF controllers where you have triggers, buttons, you can be very precise. Um, and and you, need, you need to have that uh, if you have a VR aspect to your device. But when you get into AR, the use case shifts a little and the inputs can be completely different. And we are seeing a lot of uh, professional use uh, a, the AR component of a mixed reality headset. And so when you're working, you want to, to be hands-free um, and, and, and you don't want to have plastic controllers in your, in your way. And you want also, because you're interacting at the same time with your real environment, you want to be able to use your hands as the main input. And this is why we put so much effort and dedication along with Qualcomm and Ultralip to deliver hand tracking as the main input in our device. It's more natural. It's a controller that is universal. You don't need to charge it. Uh, you never forget it, uh, and it's way more natural than any anything you you ever experience in a, with, with a headset. And we are going to show more of that uh, next week, actually online. Hey Stan, actually, I saw a YouTube video today where you you were you had a first uh, uh, glimpse at uh, at AR uh, in your uh, I'm sorry uh, hand tracking in your device. Yeah, yeah, and and you're going to see another video uh, tonight. For your time, where we show that with the with the color video see through as well, with the virtual hands uh, completely aligned with the the virtual one, and it's it's it opens so much uh, for interaction and new way of uh, utilizing utilizing the the device. So yeah, it's it's a really exciting time. Yeah, I'm excited to see it too. I, the thing is, is that like you know, I saw for a long time ago that like hand tracking was going to be like the base level interaction for both AR and VR for minimum viable for interfaces because people do forget controllers. And like your, to your point, you don't forget your hands. Um, you don't need to charge your hands. Um, and a lot of people, you know, when they first try out VR, one of their first questions are, where are my hands? So I think I realized that early on that, you know, this was going to be a valuable user interaction. And I'm glad to hear that you guys are really focusing on it first and foremost when you're talking about the Lynx headset. So um, yeah, that, that's great to hear. And I look forward to seeing more updates on, on the hand tracking. Um, that kind of leads us to the next question, but not really. 
Um, I, I wanted to ask you about enterprise focus and specifically the fact that, you know, right now AR and VR are both pretty focused uh, on enterprise with some, you know, consumer here and there, um, but a lot of the focus is enterprise. So what do you see are enterprise applications for mixed reality um, and maybe even some consumer if, if, you, if you see any? You go, please. Sure. Um, well, I'm going to talk about uh, first my, my favorite. Okay. Uh, my favorite is, uh, you know, we're calling it holographic telepresence, right? Just a fancy name to say collaboration, right? So, so basically, um, you know, the ability to have, um, you know, I have, and that applies, of course, to VR, AR, but now I think MR becomes even more interesting, right? Where, where, um, can be enterprise or or consumer, but if you imagine, um, you know, the the enterprise environment, uh, you know, during the pandemic, we all had challenges to have really you know strong collaboration um, spaces, right? Where I can do whiteboarding, where we can um, more um, easily um, exchange ideas with people. Uh, 3D design, as an example, how do I review a 3D design together, annotate on it, and and so forth. So, so to me, that's, that's to me my personal favorite. You know, if, um, if I have uh, two people in mixed reality, or you, actually you could have one in, in VR, another in MR, but, you know, you could have two people in, in, in MR, maybe in the same room or in separate rooms. But let's say it's in the same room, right? We, we, we are in the same room. We put a mixed reality headset. We still have a, a awareness of our environment, but we can go over uh, we can go over um, a 3D model and jointly, you know, design that 3D model. So I really like that that um, example as um, as my favorite. Um, and uh, but then, you know, you can take that to the next level if you have people that are in separate environments and just want to work together in the same um, uh, space. So that that's one for sure. Um, then the one that I hear a lot as well is. Um, Training, right? So training, yeah, you can do it in VR too. But hey, if I can uh, have um, either a dummy setup or you know a real setup, you know the, the one use case I'm hearing a lot is um, you know if I want to learn to fly a plane, right? I can sit on you know on, on on the cockpit and and then I have all the physical buttons and so forth. But hey, I'm not ready to take off. So then, you know, you have the mix of the, the real world, which is, you know, the, all the buttons and so forth. But then, you know, it's digital, you know, the experience that I get, you know, what I see on the, uh, you know, through the, through the glass. So, I mean, those are, I think, certainly two that come, you know, on top of my mind. But Stan, I'm sure you have uh, many more based on your customer interactions. Yeah, on the more general level, what I've seen, you know, through the very few years I've been in this industry, but um, is that it's very similar to when internet arrived. Uh, internet changed the way we perceive space, time, and complexity because we have immediately access to knowledge to someone across the planet um, and to view any kind of content from any time. And I think. I believe that mixed reality will do the same thing again on another level. Uh, 
it will, by training, for example, it will reduce again what we think is complex. Um, and I don't even know what, what, what we'll call complex uh, for our kids in the, in the future. Same with time and space where you, can, you could interact with someone else that, is, uh, that, that, that was, you know, in a hundred years that was born uh, in our time uh, through AI, for example. So it, it opens a, a lot. Of course, it brings the, the Z dimension, the Z dimension. So we finally have 3D. So anything around training, but more broadly education, um, you know, any kind of training almost at any age with the devices we have today. Um, collaboration is, you know, mainly communication. We are social beings. Um, communicating is fundamental for us. And again, mixed reality devices like these ones are really great tools uh, for, for the future we want for communication. And this is also why, uh, you know, for example, Lynx is connected uh, through with Wi-Fi and Bluetooth. And in the future, for future version, we are thinking about putting modems uh, in the headset uh, as well, uh, alongside uh, Qualcomm technologies. Uh, and, and, and it will happen. Uh, it's just now a matter of time from what I see in the industry. Um, also, you have all the entertainment. Uh, it's also very close to communication, but I see no future where these kind of tools won't be mainstream. And, you know, one, one more that um, actually we have seen a, a few uh, people in the industry talk about, I think Facebook um, showed something um, not too long ago as well is uh, I think, I'm not sure if that's, they come up with a name, but I'm hearing more and more the infinite desktop, right? So the idea that I, I, I still, you know, have my desk, right? But then instead of having, you know, physical monitors, I can have, you know, multiple, you know, virtual monitors. You know, I can have my WhatsApp, my web browser, my video, my, and, um, and I think that's how you start, you know, this infinite office is just having the 2D, apps that I use today, but then, you know, floating in space and configured as I want. And then, you know, they become more 3D-ish, you know, as more people have it. So now maybe I start having, you know, my presentations or my, my graphics, now data, you know, in, in 3D, which the tool will be able to, to, to do. So I, I think that's another very interesting, um, uh, low hanging fruit, if you will, uh, use case. Um, with uh, for, for these kind of devices. When we try to also look at the big picture, you know, uh, it's a very, very natural step for humankind in terms of how we communicate between each other. Um, when you look at history, we started with drawing in caves, then we invented writing, then photos, then videos. And, and now we are at that age where what's after, you know, videos? You could answer that it's 3D, but we won't call it that. We, we, we call that photos, videos, and experiences. And we are in this age where we introduce experiences where it's not only about 3D, but how we will put ourselves in this 3D. So you have what you see and what the technology perceives of, of you. Uh, and you have a lot of work uh, done on that and a lot of exploration about you know, for example, the hand tracking is the interface is no longer a keyboard or a touch screen. It's the interface is you. Uh, and it's just very, very natural. And um, again, this is this is why I, I, I won't see a future without 
uh, these tools. That's, that's insightful. I appreciate that. Um, I guess one of the questions I had was, you know, in enabling this future, are there any kind of unique software features or APIs that are you, you, you believe are critical to making mixed reality today possible as well as into the future? And I, I think I'll, I'll let Hugo start with that. Um, yeah, I mean, it, it's essentially, you know, APIs for, you know, spatial computing, right? So um, it's, uh, it's essentially, you know, the, the key AR um, APIs, uh, the basic ones, you know, for user understanding, you know, the APIs for hand tracking, the APIs for eye tracking, for my head movement, um, and then the, the APIs for uh, the world understanding. Right, so the APIs for oh, what what is a, a plane, and to the next extent, um, you know what object is that, and identifying you know so so it's really enabling developers uh, with uh, common APIs to be able to have those three D experiences as Stan was saying, mapped and locked uh, into the real world. Uh, another one that is of course uh, uh, important. Um, as, um, as we think about um, this collaborative experiences, and if you want to extend you know, to the buzzword, you know, the metaverse, right? It's about <laughs> persistence, right? So how do you enable persistence? So if I have a digital uh, element you know, that I locked in this wall in my office, how do I make it that I leave my room, come back, it's still there? How do I make it that you know, other others, you know, coming into my office can see that, you know, the, the cloud anchors and, and so forth. So those are, are important APIs as well um, that um, we need to come together. I mean, OpenXR, I think, um, has um, many of them. Um, extensions are needed. And, and I think we're, we're going to, we're working on that. Yeah. Stan, do you have anything? Uh yeah, as a, as a general answer to that, there are just so many APIs in spatial computing because you can take all the APIs we already have in 2D computing, and then you had so much more sensors and fusion algorithm uh, on top of that. So I think the developer community out there will expect a lot of uh, out-of-the-box experiences given by the device, for example, um, six dove or hand tracking or things that are you know already working and that you don't need to 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 play too much with that uh, and and we are working uh, with Qualcomm to to deliver this kind of uh, out of the box software um, so the, the the key thing here is you know the time to value like how do how, how do you how do you make an application in 30 seconds uh, how do you create a new experience and deploy that so you have to, you, we need things like OpenXR and we need uh, very strong software teams uh, on the hardware part, uh, you know, of people that are making the, the headsets. Um, you, you won't be able to have a new platform if the device uh, is not doing, you know, spatial understanding, 3D reconstruction, hand tracking. Um, most of smartphones uh, out there are already doing that out of the box for developers. So the bar, the bar is already very, very high. And, and you know, when it comes to APIs, there's also, okay, the, the developer APIs, but there are also APIs that we give to our OEMs, you know, like, uh, like links, 
um, you know, uh, if you go under the hood, um, even, you know, how to access uh, some of the, the chip, you know, functionalities yeah. on mixed reality, even the parallax, you know, that uh, Stan was uh, talking about, the parallax issue. Yeah, there's a hardware, you know, component to addressing that, but there are also software components. And that, I don't need to offer that to a developer, but hey, I need to offer that to, you know, the hardware um, um, customer like, uh, like Lynx. So, so we, we work at the, these two uh, levels, um, uh, Anshal. Great, thank you very much. I appreciate it, it was very insightful. Um, one of the other topics I was kind of curious about um, was around cloud rendering um, as well as split rendering. And how do you guys see, you know, split rendering using 5G or Wi-Fi um, working into mixed reality? And how, how does that, you know, differ from say AR or VR? Yeah, so, so maybe let me start there, uh, Stan. Yeah. Um, and then I'll pass it to you. But um, um, it's really about the richness of the experience that you want to provide. You know, all-in-ones are great, right? But they have a limitation on how much power, you know, you can dissipate. Um, you know, you take a gaming PC or, you know, the cloud, hey, I can have an experience with 300 watts. Well, I cannot dissipate 300 watts on my head. But what if I want to have that 300 watt experience? Well, then I can distribute. I don't even like call it, you know, just, um, uh, you know, cloud processing. It's, it's really a mix. There's still going to be tasks that you're going to be doing on the headset. They're more heavy um, you know, rendering uh, tasks and so forth that you can offload, uh, be it to a compute device in your house uh, or in your office or, you know, in the edge of the cloud, right? And, and I think that um, uh, 5G um, definitely has the, the, the KPIs that we need from a latency perspective, from a throughput perspective um, to enable that, uh, that, split, um, that split processing. And um, and I think it's gonna we're gonna see more and more of of that um, as we moving in the journey, um, and um, and then and then the question is, um, you know, when when to when do I need when do I need that or not? And um, that's you know something that you know users can can select, developers can offer that capability, and um, um, and I think that uh, um, you know that's part of uh, of uh, evolution that we're working on here at Qualcomm. I know Stan, if you have anything else. Yeah, to, to add a, a bit uh, on top of that, on our side, for the state of things where we are today, we see split rendering and remote rendering as something that some professional users are asking because they have very high loads on GPU and graphics to, to render uh, very complicated things that you cannot process on a mobile device. But we see the future of 5G for XR as key for intercommunication with you know, numerous devices that want to share the same experience, where you can have a remote computer hosting all the, all the graphics and sharing that to many, many headsets with their own uh, perspective towards that experience. So the, um, 5G will be key in the next few years for XR. Um, it needs to mature more on the software and the hardware for both power consumption and adoption from uh, developers. 
but we're seeing very, very interesting things from uh, some gaming studios that are trying that. Uh, so, but uh, it will take maybe at least one year, two years for consumers to first experience 5G and XR at the same time on devices. Now, one, one more, um, you know, uh, uh, scenario, you know, where this can be accelerated is um, um, where the server, right, it's on-prem. So you could have an enterprise, right, with private 5G, um, for example, right, and have on-prem servers, and they build, you know, the infrastructure for that split uh, compute. Um, you know, we actually did together with the AT&T uh, Harry Potter experience. It was VR, um, you know, it was not MR yet, but MR could do that too. On the, the more location-based entertainment um, uh, uh, experience where, you know, you remove the backpack, you know, for, you know, computing, uh, for ha having that rich experience. You have just a light uh, headset with 5G, and then you have 5G coverage inside of, you know, a building. And, uh, and then you can offer that as, um, as, a, as a, a way to accelerate that and, um, and have a controlled environment, you know, for uh, those experiences. Great. Um, I think that kind of wraps up the uh, remote rendering topic. I, I kind of wanted to follow on to Stan, a question about the, the Lynx R1's Kickstarter and the fact that it got fully funded in only 15 hours. Um, which is, you know, quite an achievement. Most people are happy to get it in 24 hours, let alone 15. And I was kind of wondering, what would you attribute to the excitement uh, of this headset's Kickstarter and how is, you know, around mixed reality? Yeah, um, I think there are a few things at play here. You know, I've been working on links. I started really having this video see-through and hand tracking and all that. Uh, since for four years now and seriously working on it with a team and people like Qualcomm for, for two years. And during all that time, we did not see a competitor that, uh, that was doing what Lynx is doing today, uh, you know, with MR and hand tracking and all that with state-of-the-art technologies. And it was a very low-hanging fruit for big companies, really. You know, I'm a 15-people company company. Uh, you know, I, I cannot compete with the big ones, but no one was doing that. Um, and and it, it's, a, it's a bit of hardware lottery where uh, Qualcomm developed the XR2 and we were finally able to process everything we wanted to do on a mobile device uh, at an affordable price uh, for consumers. And I think the success of our Kickstarter can be explained that people have been waiting for a device like that for years now, uh, when I when I see you know the, when I read the message the messages that I receive every day, uh, people are really excited about something like that. Um, so you're you, you're seeing our Kickstarter again getting a lot of traction, but you, there are a lot of things happening backstage, and and I think you you won't stop hearing about links uh, in the next few weeks. That's good to hear. Um, I guess the last question I had was. Um, I'll start with Hugo. Is there anything else you guys would like our audience to know about mixed reality that we maybe haven't covered here yet? Um, you know, I think it's, it's all about going back to 
you know, how I started. It's, it's the journey, right, for uh, a glass that can do both VR and AR, that can substitute, you know, smartphones and all other compute uh, devices that, that we have, which is still, you know, a little bit far out. So in that journey, um, you will have uh, augmented reality glasses that are, you know, some are, are not even augmented reality, they're more smart glasses. You know, take the, the Ray-Ban, you know, from Luxottica um, and, um, and Facebook. You know, it's not AR yet, but, you know, you're getting more technology being built on, um, on a glass, on, you know, in front, in front on something that, that you wear. So you're going to see, you know, improvements on that track. You're going to see improvements on, let's call the all-in-ones like the Microsoft HoloLens, more enterprise-focused, a little bit bigger, but with holographic experiences. So maybe that's, those devices are going to start to get uh, smaller and more capable as well. And then you have virtual reality. Now introducing mixed reality. So, you know, I'm going to still stand um, common from the beginning. We're, we're going to see convergence. Right of, of all of these, so this is one lane, right of uh, that is being uh, included um, on 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 the journey, and I think it's a it's a great one. It's a great one to get you know the wide field of view, you know experiences with accessible devices with technology that is mostly here to, today, and it's going to get better. It's going to get better and better. Um, so I think that's that's the final uh, remark on my side. And uh, on my side. Um, you know, I will just say that if mixed reality, mixed reality was just a, a, an issue of smart people and money, it will be solved. But that's not true because you see the best teams on the planet. All the smart people I know, including my team here, are working on XR. It's a very hot topic in the industry. And a lot of companies are making strategic decisions around XR, like Facebook or Apple or Microsoft. They, those are companies that have infinite supply of money. Um, so there is a lot of uh, investment made uh, in that. And you should all still keep an eye for, for this new wave of man-machine interface that we're going to see. Um, so it's, it's not a, you know, if it was just smart people and money, it will be solved. So I will join Hugo here and say that it's a journey. It takes time. It's very, very hard. Um, but the end result is worth, uh, is, is worth the effort for the whole industry. Um, and to, to close, uh, you're seeing a lot of announcements in VR and AR this month and, and, and also in the next weeks with HTC, Facebook, and we, to, to get to the result we all want of Hugo saying that we want those glasses that basically are Iron Man glasses and can do everything, you need to start by making these. Um, and it's a very iterative process. And uh, I'm, uh, I'm very fortunate to, to, to work on, on these problems with, uh, with teams like Hugo's teams and, and other great team in the industry. That was uh, very insightful. I really appreciate it, guys. This has been a very great discussion and thanks a lot to Hugo and Stan for joining me. Um, we hope our viewers and listeners found this week's topics interesting. Uh, if anyone out there would like to provide insights on a specific XR topic for a future podcast, please reach out to me on social media. I'm at Anshel Sog 
Uh, we hope you had a great weekend and please tune in again next week. All right, Thank thanks, you, Thanks, guys. Thank you.